Uh, We're reading today from Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by foods, since those involved in them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the Holy of Holies by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For here we do not have an enduring city. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to be good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting wanting to conduct ourselves honourably in everything. And I especially urge you to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory forever and ever, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Morning, everyone. Um, If you don't have uh, one of the talk guides. Brian's up the back there ready to spring around and give one to anyone who puts their hand up before you take five breaths. Anyone had to hold their breath too long? So you've got your Bibles open. You got the sheets, and now we have to pray. Heavenly Father, please guard and guide what I say this morning, and please help us to understand your word with our minds and be ready to commit ourselves with our whole being so that we can be more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Who's seen the uh, movie City Slickers? been around for a while now, back in the 1990s. Uh, uh, Billy Crystal, he plays a a guy called Mitch who's having a midlife crisis. Uh, He's 38 years old. And um, it makes you think about anyone in that? No. Um, And uh, to solve his problem, uh, he he tries to find himself by going on a cattle drive... Uh, with an old cowboy called Curly, who's played by Jack Palance, one of the meanest-looking guys you can ever come across. And um, 
they end up one night having a deep and meaningful about life. And Curly, he holds up one of his uh, um, rawhide skin gloved index uh, gloves in his index finger and he says, do you know what the secret of life is? This. And Mitch looks up at Curly and says, what, your finger? No, no, no. Uh, the thing, one thing, just one thing. You stick to that one thing and anything else doesn't matter. Or he uses words something like that anyway. And uh, Mitch says, well, that, <laughs> that, that, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Curly says, that's what you got to work out. No matter what stage of life you're at, you need to figure out what the one thing is. And then you can work out what comes after. Get that right, everything else will flow. Now, we don't know what the writer of Hebrews, uh, who the writer of Hebrews is, but his original readers did. We know that uh, because uh, we can uh, see his closing remarks. It's very personal. But we do know who guided him to write it, and that's God. And God uses this letter to keep on reminding this group of Christians who many of them have a Jewish background of how important it is to remember or know who Jesus is, what he did for them and how it will affect their lives. And if you think you've come in too late because um, you've been doing Hebrews, have you? Uh, It's okay because all is not lost the writer now is really hammering home what he's been saying all the way through. Uh, this is his main point coming again at the end of the letter. And he really does answer the question, what is the one thing? The one thing that affects everything else. And by the way, on the sheets there, don't worry if you don't have a pencil. You can just commit it to memory, can't you? And I'll test you later. The one thing is, only Jesus' sacrifice can save us. Only Jesus' sacrifice can save us. If you're writing before I've even said anything, did you get it? Cool, yeah. And the reason why his sacrifice can save us is because Jesus is just so consistent. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. If you are already a Christian... The reason that you were saved yesterday is the same reason that you are saved today and will be saved when Jesus returns. The reason is based on what Jesus has done for you on the cross and the price that he paid for you that you should have paid for rebelling against God, that payment separation from God for eternity. And on the cross, Jesus paid for it. Jesus has not changed his mind in what he thinks about you if you have accepted him as your Lord, the boss of your life, and your saviour, the one you are trusting to get you right with God. He's committed to seeing you in heaven. As a matter of fact, uh, another writer in the Bible, Paul, he says this in uh, Romans 8.24, that Jesus still intercedes on our behalf. He's got an active interest in you right now. Because he is consistent, yesterday, today and forever. So only Jesus' sacrifice can save us. Not my sacrifices, not your sacrifices. We need to remember that and not get mixed up 
when we look at the implications of this one thing. Don't get the one thing mixed up with the implications of the one thing. Verse 9, we are saved by grace alone, driving the point home. Verse 9, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. Have you ever heard strange teachings? For it is good for the heart to be established by grace. Grace is a gift from God. Grace is the gift that God has given us through Jesus. And not by, this is strange, not by foods. How could anyone ever think that they can be saved by foods? Since those involved in them have not benefited. You need to remember that uh, because these Christians, they had a, a Jewish background, it was very tempting for them to go back into the old ways of thinking about how to get right with God. And one way was being very strict with the Old Testament food laws. But those laws had been cancelled by the new covenant, the new agreement, the new testament that we read all about what Jesus did on the cross. They're cancelled. We're not under those laws anymore. The apostle Peter needed to be reminded of that, so God had to send him, you know, that vision that he had of all the, the unclean animals that Jews wouldn't uh, eat, and God says, eat. And the first reaction that Peter has to say to God is never. I've got to be a good Jew. And maybe being a good Jew means that I keep the old laws rather than listen to God. Weird, isn't it? You see, Peter did come to the conclusion. He, he did realise, he, he, he humbled himself enough to realise that, okay, God, if this is the new way of doing it, I'm in it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, already figured that out and so did the uh, writer of Hebrews. If the food laws were to be essential to salvation, what does that mean? Then Jesus' death is not, um, is not the way that we are made right with God. And we are not saved by grace alone. Salvation would not be a gift. And this is where, whether you're not a Christian yet, or whether you are a Christian, I think it's easy to fall back into the old ways, the old patterns of thinking of um, how will I be acceptable to God? And it could be just remembering this one principle, remembering the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing, will stop us from falling into the, the, uh, the, the trap of rejecting the gospel. Because if you have added anything to your understanding of salvation, other than what Jesus has done for you, then you have mucked up the gospel. <clears throat> and then the writer of Hebrews says that the whole plan of sacrifice in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and as we come into the New Testament, we've got to realise this, that the sacrifice that Jesus made, the sacrifice is different. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is different from the Old Testament sacrifices in the same way that a road map is different from the actual place you're trying to get to. You use a road map to point you in the right direction. Uh, the road map uses symbols for roads and traffic lights and whatever, but you don't actually drive on the road map, do you? 
Jesus' sacrifice is the real sacrifice that the Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to. The bulls, the sheep, the goats, they were visual aids to help the Jews get ready for when Jesus came to do the job properly and completely. And then we find uh, the, uh, in Hebrews here, he describes a little bit of Old Testament history and the practices. He says the Jews, they sacrificed in the tabernacle. That was the tent, you know, when um, Moses was in the, uh, the Exodus in the wilderness and they had set up camp and then they'd uh, go to the next place. They'd always have to set up the tabernacle or the tent. And that's where the sacrifices were being made. And later on, when they settle in Jerusalem, they make a temple, which is permanent, the permanent place. But Jesus' sacrifice was going to be different. You see, in the tabernacle, in the temple, they had an altar. In verse 10, we're reminded, we, that is the Christians now, we have an altar. But it's not the altar that you get in the tabernacle or in the, uh, the temple anymore. This was where, in the Old Testament, this was where the blood was shed. This was where the blood was, uh, the animal's blood was uh, poured out. But in verse 11, the writer describes how the animal itself that was made the sacrifice, the carcass, it was taken outside of the, uh, the, uh, the confines of the tabernacle, around outside the tent. And later on, when the uh, temple was established, they would take it outside of the walls of the city and they would just dispose of it outside the city walls. And now one of the most powerful images of the Old Testament sacrifices... The discarded animal is compared to what happened to Jesus. Verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate like a discarded animal so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. It was outside the city gate, outside where all the real religious stuff was happening where Jesus was in the discard pile on a hill, he was put to death. <clears throat> I wonder if anyone here knows of a person called Cecil Alexander. First thing, it's a lady. Cecil lived in the 1800s and she had a great love for God and a great love for children and a great love for music. And she would... Uh, uh, have a Sunday school where she would, and in the expression that they use, she would collect the street urchins, the boys who had no, no way of really uh, making any sort of a survival and, and she'd look after them. But on Sunday, she'd have a Sunday school where she would teach the Bible and uh, she was going through the Apostles' Creed with these boys and it came to the point where it says, and Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified died and was buried and she was saying how do these boys well how will they ever understand what it meant for Jesus to be crucified how am I going to maybe I can think up a song there is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. Do you think they got it? Do you get it? 
any sacrifice that we make for God can only be in response to what God has already completed for us through the death of Jesus. And now we're ready to look at the implications of the one thing. Any sacrifices we make are a response to being saved. What follows in this letter and finishes off the book of Hebrews is what we do because we are trusting in what Jesus has done for us. And the first is we are saved to praise God. Therefore, through him, verse 15, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. And praise, it can be singing, it can just be declaring the great truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus to someone around you. Praise can be when you're, you know how we, we've got this idea of this, um, what we do uh, that is churchy things or godly type things and then you've got the rest of the world and sometimes the word that is used to separate things in religion and things outside is secular, okay? We've got a secular world. Can I encourage you to invade your secular world and as you're driving to work, as you're having a shower, sing songs of praise to God. Think through how you can praise God because we were saved to do it. We were saved to be people. Joyful praise is always a byproduct of salvation. There will be godly tears of salvation, sorrow, but that will lead to joy, the joy of forgiveness. Many things will come up in our lives and we may not always actually be happy all the time. But the Bible does say that joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason why we can have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, is because of what Jesus has done. So now the Holy Spirit can take up residence in us and change us from the inside. We are saved to praise. We are saved to share, verse 16... Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. What kind of a sacrifice is this? Is this a sacrifice to be saved? No. This is a sacrifice to show that you just appreciate and love what God has done for you in Jesus. We can be generous with our time and our talents and our treasures, and I know you've heard the expression before and you've got all the implications of that, of what it means for you personally you can be generous because you've actually been shown the great generosity of God through sending and giving up his son, Jesus. That time when Jesus was on the cross, can you think for a moment, probably particularly, uh, maybe some of you people, you've got sons? Would you, would you, who do you love enough to let your son go through that for them so that they might experience eternal life? a great challenge wouldn't it it begins to help us just to begin to plumb the depths of God's love and the sacrifice that was made on that day on the cross we are saved to praise we are saved to share and a weird one verse 17 we are saved to be obedient uh, obey your leaders and submit to them verse 17 Greg finished off that was his last point last week if you were here last week 
And here he is, the writer of Hebrews, bringing, up, bringing it up again. Uh, why is this important? Uh, because it's not always an easy command to follow. Even someone who is, nice, who is as nice as Greg and as nice as Ken, you know, look around, as Terry, nice people, but sometimes they can be less than nice, I guess. Would that be right? Yeah. Hard. No, okay, remember, you shall not lie. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> it's not always. And I wonder really if there's been any command of God in the Bible that has always been easy to follow. I don't think so. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been in there. It would have been, oh, this, that comes naturally. Don't need a command. Husbands, love your wives. It's in the Bible. Husbands, have you always cons consistently loved your wife? Which brings me to another biblical command. Don't lie. <laughs> have you never lied? Will you be strongly tempted to lie in the near future? And wives, submit to your husbands. Do you find that easy? Don't commit adultery, including in your head, in your imagination. Don't murder and don't even think about hating a person that you want something bad to happen to them. That's the angle that Jesus took on it. And what about what Jesus said is the most important command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Easy? Most of us think, oh, if I can get through an hour doing that, that'd be great. And what about the second one? Maybe the second one's easier. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. Is that easy? You see, if you pick and choose only what you want to obey, it's not really obedience and it's not really a sacrifice. Samuel told King Saul once, to obey is better than sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 15. And here in Hebrews, God helps us to see that obedience, where he calls us to obey, is another kind of sacrifice, which God, well, it said it here, he loves. It pleases God. On a purely practical level, uh, Peter Adam, uh, he's a wonderful um, Anglican <coughs> minister, uh, theologian. He wrote a really good uh, study guide on Hebrews. <coughs> he said, in other words, talking about um, obey your leaders, he said, in other words, cooperate with your church leaders. If the leader's work becomes a burden, they may well grow disheartened and bad-tempered. Anyone want to see uh, Ken bad-tempered? But that's not the reason, really, ultimately, why you're doing it. Because it doesn't help anyone. But remember why you are doing it. The one reason. The one thing. It's a humble response to what Jesus has done for you. We are saved to pray. Starting at verse 18. Pray for us. And then goes on about all the situations in the church where he says, pray for us, uh, please, we need help. You know, the reason why this church is being held together is because of you praying. The prayers that you pray first thing in the morning, during the day, you know those little arrow prayers that you send up when you know someone is in need and you know that they need a spiritual tonic they need to be 
encouraged or challenged. It happens after our church service when we meet with other people and just sort of you hear about someone and then you say, let's pray. And there's maybe two or three people joined together and they're praying after a service. Or it might be people who are meeting on a regular basis, one-to-one or in groups of three, and they're praying for the needs that they have been able to see in the church. Or it's the prayer inside a church, a service. Or it's the prayers that are happening in the youth groups, the growth groups, the kids' groups. I wish you had been over in Betty's last Friday. Um, We were in with the, the infants And after the talk, we had a prayer time. You should have heard their prayers. You know, uh, there could be that there's some infants' prayers that are keeping this church together. Prayer is so important. But we, we pray because nothing shows that you love being with a person better than being with that person. Spending time talking with them. We are saved to keep in close communication with the Saviour. Prayers won't save you. Jesus saves you. You pray because you are a saved person or you're calling out for mercy and God is listening because of what Jesus has done. And finally, we are saved to be equipped to do God's will. There's a lovely little section here in uh, verses twenty. Uh, to 21 it's actually a a prayer Uh, and some people call it a wish prayer God saves his children to live like his children and for 2,000 years the vision and the prayer of Christian pastors like the writer of Hebrews has always been to see a church that's been filled with people who love Jesus and who are finding ways all sorts of ways to show that they love Uh, Jesus so friends brothers sisters live out your God-given purpose don't confuse the one thing with the implications from verse 20 now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep with the blood of the everlasting covenant Equip us with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen.